Now entering Nerdist.com. What's happening, weirdos? A, uh, a return of the incredible Sarah Silverman, who I'm very happy to say is on this week's episode of Crashing, which is, uh, I know I keep saying this, but everybody loves the sixth episode. It's one of my favorites, is what I was going to say, but a lot of people that have seen uh, the first six agree, uh, press uh, people, and obviously us that edited it. it oh, it's my bit. Edited it. Um, <laughs> oh, it's my bit. Uh, love the sixth episode, and it has a huge uh, part, of course, to do with Sarah being in it. So this is perfectly timed. We we sat down at her apartment, and we talked. It had been years since we'd done the first episode, so we had lots more to talk about. Be sure you listen till the end, um, or, you know, if you get bored with it uh, or run out of time, jump to the end, because she has one of the best, um, uh, hardest times she's laughed stories that we've ever heard. Uh, just a couple things always to plug here is obviously Crashing. It's going to be on Sunday at 10.30 on HBO. This will be the sixth episode of Sarah. The first five uh, and, you know, all of them will be available on HBO Go and HBO Now. They are, in fact, available. And I'm pretty sure you can still watch the pilot on HBO.com. Uh, so check that out. We have uh, t-shirts, damsels do it, their damn selves, all the hits, the wolf from uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, all, uh, PD is my homeboy, they're all at store, store.petehomes.com, and uh, I hope you find, <laughs> it's like a weird thing to say to somebody, I hope you find what you're looking for. <laughs> but there's some really great stuff on there. Uh, our sponsor, this is fun. I was just driving by like 12 billboards for this movie. Uh, I think you know what I'm talking about. Get ready. It's Morphin Time. Am I the only one that watched Power Rangers as, as, as a teenager? I loved it. And Power Rangers will be shifting into turbo and rocketing. I didn't write this, but come on. get ex- This is fun. We'll be rocketing onto the big screen. Rocketing onto the big screen in turbo. Five ordinary teens, we knew that, must become something extraordinary. I know what they become. When they learn their small town of Angel Grove, I know their town, and the world, I know the world, is on the verge of being obliterated by an alien threat. I don't know the threat. That's going to be exciting. The Reimagined Rangers stars a diverse group of up-and-comings, up-and-coming stars, including, um, I hope I said this right, Dacray Montgomery, Naomi Scott, R.J. Seiler, Becky G, Ludi Lynn, and features veteran badasses Bill Hader, Elizabeth Banks, and Brian Cranston. That's amazing. Go, go. You know, like, go, go, Power Rangers. Go, go, you. Check out Power Rangers, one of the most highly anticipated films of the year, on Friday, March 24th. Again, I say, go, go. I'm also happy to, uh, you know, plug, uh, let you guys know about the deals we have going for what I call my Pete's Picks. These are, as you know, products that have personally changed my life for the better. I'm so happy to be getting the word out about Charlotte's Web Hemp Oil uh, because I get <laughs> as much fan mail now for uh, facing and sounds and crashing and stuff. There's always peppered within them just people writing, telling me about how Charlotte's Web has changed their life. Um, of course, these aren't things that are, uh, what is it, studied, uh, you know, endorsed? I don't know what the word is, by the FDA. But these are what people are saying. It's their testimonies. They say, one guy was like, I feel like I always just had a great stand-up set. Like, I just kind of feel that general wellness. 
another girl told me that it really helped her get over travel anxiety. I personally benefit from it greatly when I am, uh, you know, going to a party or going to a dinner or really <laughs> basically doing anything. I take a lot of it because I love it. It is a game changer. It is a life changer. Back pain, neck pain. What it is is it's, I know you've heard me say this before. It's not THC, it's just the CBD part of the hemp plant, which means it's completely functional, it's not psychoactive, you can read on it, you can work on it, you can study on it, it doesn't matter, there's no cloudiness, it's just a good, calm, clear, happy glow that I love. So I want you to try it, all you gotta do is go to cwhemp.com slash weird and use promo code you made it weird, all one word, for 10% off. And then maybe you can drop me a line on Instagram or Facebook and, and tell me how much you love it. It means so much. I mean, people really, people are losing it <laughs> for this product, and I really want you to try it. I hope you like it. The other Pete's pick, as always, is Alpha Brain. It's my favorite brain supplement, and I take it every single day, and I have for over three years now. As you can probably guess, it's a nootropic, which is like a vitamin for your brain. And when I'm out there doing sets, and uh, thanks for coming to Grand Rapids, by the way, that was fun. Uh, really mean that, and press, and writing scripts, and doing stand-up, and interviews, and all this stuff, I need it more than ever, now Now that things are so busy, so I swear by this stuff, I haven't ever, in the past three years, done a podcast, or stand-up, or, or meditated, I even sometimes take some before I go to bed, because it gives you really weird dreams, in a good way, uh, it helps with my recall, it just helps me communicate much more clearly, and again, I always say this, not a stimulant, it's not like coffee, it doesn't like keep you awake, it just helps your brain work great with earth-grown ingredients. So I want you to try it. Go to onnit, O-N-N-I-T dot com slash weird, and you will get 10% off automatically. All right, guys, those are the picks. Try some Alpha Brain, try some Charlotte's Web, go see Power Rangers, and uh, please watch Crashing. Uh, this Sunday is Sarah Silverman's episode at 10.30 on HBO, HBO Go, HBO Now. Get into it. It's kind of, Val's not here. <laughs> Val's at a, at, a, at a friend's uh, party, a uh, friend's house, it's like a you know, grown-up party, like a covered dish situation. So she can't say get into it, which is fine. I've been saying it. I get all codependent. I've been saying it. <coughs> get into it. All right. I, I, we're, we're, we were talking off mic a little bit about the difficulty of making a special, and I've been there a billion. <laughs> a billion. This is You Made It Weird, by the way. Yeah. I didn't know if this was like so a new podcast <laughs> no, for the new Pete Holmes. You're returning. This is Sarah Silverman Returns, which is always better. And I'm honored that you even said yes. I was surprised, not surprised, but delightfully surprised the first time. And here Ooh. we are again. Well, if you come to me, then I, then I can just still be. Yeah, but you pajamas. just said you've been on the road. You've been, you're spread thin. This is a crazy time. I am. March is the, a month of rest. Supposed to be a month of rest for me. Did somebody tell you to do that, or is that something you were just like, this is what we're going to keep off the books? Um, both. <laughs> my dad just, I found out that my dad just called my manager the other day and said to stop working me so hard. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. And she's, you know, she's like my best friend. And Your manager? She, yeah. Amy. Zvi. I don't, I don't know. Do I know Amy Zvi? You don't know Zvi? I don't know. So your dad, that, that's very sweet. I know. Your dad's involved in your career? My dad calls Judd Apatow Jeff Applebaum. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, that might be Judd's joke, actually, but he gets his name wrong every single time. That's amazing. He says it, and he calls it the sitcom. And now when they watch it, they, they... 
it's so weird. My mom has actually eclipsed my dad in being able to just say it was great. And now my dad's like, it was a little in the gutter. Like he'll say stuff like that. We didn't love every part of it. I'm like, why are you telling me this? Congratulations, by the way. Oh, please. Very excited. Can't wait for America to get a glimpse of the Silverman magic. I had lunch with my sister, Jodine, and she was like, I've been watching this new show, Crashing. It's so good. And I'm like, ooh, well, wait until you see episode six. (laughs) (laughs) Which, by the way, not just saying... Everybody like unanimously everybody's favorite episode. Oh, I, I don't. Even, it's not to make you seem super magic or to put down the other people. Certainly not. But we we had a special episode. It was a great episode. Oh, it was very fun. And it was the happy episode. Yeah. And you know what question I get a lot is they go, is Sarah really that way? And I'm like, we wrote that for <laughs> you. We didn't write like a nurturing comedian type and then cast you. We r- cast you and then wrote it. Oh, which is super fun. I mean, and I've been on the road with Beth Stelling, who wrote that episode, and she is pure joy, and I love her, truly, truly love her. And she said your second taping was amazing. We were talking. What we were talking about is the frustration. Here's something that you said, if you don't mind, and we can take anything out. Obviously, (laughs) was when I did my special "Nice Try the Devil." I had been touring it nonstop, and when we filmed it, I had that feeling. Where I was like, any taping of me on the road in any other venue... That's exactly how I felt. ...would have been better. Isn't that crazy? It just is... You know, I've been working on this this set for... Since the last special. So it's been like four years. And I'm so excited about it. And that's not my mouth sounds, by the way. It's my <laughs> dog's mouth sounds. She's put her mouth up to the microphone that is making. Sounds like Jeff Garland's eating the soup. Kind of like, <laughs> the kind of NPR mouth why, sounds why that Garland? makes me uh, have to change the channel, even though I love the content. Oh, my God. Vocal fry? Not the vocal fry. NPR, not the Kardashians. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, vocal dryness. Like, no. take a sip. I have to change the channel. Yeah, that's so funny. It's funny because I love that uh, Pema Chodron. Am I saying yeah, her name right? I've heard Pema, but yeah. Pema Chodron? Yep. I don't know. And I got a couple, you know, I read one of her books, which I love, When Things Fall Apart. And, you um, recommended that to me. That's what yeah. it is. And then a guy that works with Judd was like, I think you'd like Pima Children. And it sounded familiar. It's because you told me to yeah, read Yeah, I love it. And then apart. so I got a couple of her books on tape and I can't listen to them because she needs to drink some water and I have like a sound I have sound sensitivity so I I am thinking there was Invisibilia is an NPR podcast that I like and those ladies have a little bit of a, a Kardashian fry I push oh, through yeah. I push yeah. through but they'll be like we went down and I'm like, uh, <laughs> no me goose so you know it's <laughs> what, what, <laughs> What's interesting about the situation you're in, because you were also saying it's going to edit together, and obviously it's it's there, and you can find it and put it, piece it. Yeah, but you're talking about something special and sacred and amazing. Like you're so excited. It's just about this I've hour. been on the road with it, and it's just been like the shows have been magical. And yeah. then I came home to shoot, and I literally had I got you know I got. Um, Strep throat again. You know, I've just been like having throat problems for since the summer, you know, mm-hmm. as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, and then I'm on these heavy antibiotics and I'm, my brain is just like underwater mm. and 
it just was so frustrating, you know. Yeah. This wasn't this show. It wasn't it, just like you said, like any other show on the road, I right. wish was my special. So right now I'm in, I'm in the middle of feeling that way. And watching it. But you also said one it's of the watching, things... Watching, it's excruciating for me anyway, but... Even if it's the best set of your life, it's horrible to watch. Am I right? It's awful. I just... I don't know why. I, I usually don't mind watching myself. Like, if I... When I... You know, on your show, I'll be excited to watch it. But just... Yeah. You know, when it's just... I, yeah, I don't know. With stand-up, it's just very hard. I... Well, you know, something that I experienced that, again, we were saying this off my when I was doing Nice Try the Devil, is it felt transactional. First of all, I want to say the, the good people in the audience, we all did our best. The venue was having issues. It was a little bit bigger and more sparse and less connected than I like to work. Yeah. So what ends up happening is the jokes are just getting their, their blue book value. Does that make sense? Yes. Like where I go, this rolls, this laugh rolls through this on the road. And it's not fair that these laughs are starting and stopping. Right. But it's embarrassing because there's part of you, for I'll speak for me, there's part of me that goes, no, you're right. Like, that's a four. But if we were really all blending into a, a magical space, it would be a nine. But if you're going to look at, like, every comedian would agree, a bad show is where no role is established. And therefore, every joke is placed naked and cold under the microscope. And you just go, what do you think of this one? Okay, what about this Ugh. one? Isn't it the worst? Yeah, and you know what's interesting is, you know, just by virtue of the fact that there are cameras there, you know, you forget that it's not just you that has to get beyond that and be in the moment. Like, even when I record on my phone, I feel like I worry that my performance will be tainted. You yeah, know, the curse it, of the tape. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, um, uh, what's the, what's Unbreaking Bad, his code name? Heisenberg. It's Heisenberg. It's a Heisenberg principle. You yes, know? the observed. Uh, yeah, so it's like just by <laughs> virtue of putting my phone on, it, it's changed the chemistry. But I've you work past that as a comic, and, right. and you and you learn how to ignore that because you know it's just on your phone. It's not. You'll never it, hear. It doesn't it exist <laughs> yeah. really. And then with the cameras, you have to kind of work beyond that and 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 work on. Not and I'm pretty good. Like shooting a show, like when I shot your show, I'm never aware of the cameras, like right. to a fault. Right. So, but what you forget is the audience is tainted by that. Yeah. That that their performance as audience, as listeners, as just being in a moment and losing themselves in the darkness of the crowd is right. is a little is tainted as right. well. It's the same thing as I have to imagine filming sex. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it changes something that would be enjoyable for everybody and dark and a little bit safe into this thing that's like and come. You know what I mean? Like it ruins it. <laughs> is that how you think it's shot? <laughs> Probably is actually. <laughs> and come. From what I've been told, uh, Greg Fitz Simmons is in our room now, and he did like the porn awards and stuff. Right. And oh yeah, he, the AVN awards. And he told me he went to the set, and that's what they were saying. They were like, "Okay, and come." Wow. And I was like, "Whoa." <laughs> that is, it's impressive if a man can do that. If a woman, all women can woman, do that yeah, because it's not real. <laughs> I mean, if a, it doesn't have to be real. Do you have a piece of paper that I could just write little notes on? Yeah, I sure do. And it's yellow Seinfeld paper. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, it's a legal I, I don't even have to write that down because 
Are you like me in that sometimes, and this is my hope for you, all that's required is someone telling you you could reshoot it and then you realize you don't have to? Well, so that was this call was my agent saying like, listen, I'll, I'll go to them right now and just say you're unhappy with it and we want to reshoot it. And then I'm like, <gasps> you know, that's like a whole new failure in my mind, you know? Yeah, but is I, it? And then I go, well, oh, God, then the pressure's on, you know, that it has to be. And then I go, oh, well, I mean, you know, it edits together fine. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's not that it – yeah, so so now it's – now that it's potentially even in my hands, which it isn't. I mean, no one's even said anything yet, but, like, then it gets – you know, when you feel like you have no power, then you go, I, I, you know, if I could shoot this again, it would be perfect. Right, and then they right. go, well, okay, then you want to? And then I, oh, well, I don't, I mean, I kind of. But you, you totally could. <laughs> Maybe. And I mean, it wouldn't that, be. You I, know, that's the whole thing is like, my dad was like, you have strep throat. You should be in bed, not shooting a special, mm. you know, postpone it. And then I was like, I can't, you know, <laughs> the, we can't afford it. Like we have a budget. Mm-hmm. And now I would just go like, oh, could I have? Mm. I don't know. But um, but I think it's interesting that you would think it's a failure. Don't you think with especially you're trying to capture, as you, as you said, magic, you're trying to capture something that's like seeing an elf. You know, what, it's not yeah. your fault that you went into the rolling hills of Ireland. I know that's leprechauns, but you know what I mean? And it, it didn't show up. Right. I mean, very few. I mean, I don't know. Not a lot of times people, comics aren't happy with their special, you know, because it's just... It doesn't have the necessarily the magic of it, and I, you know, there are moments where I'm, it's loose and it's in the moment and stuff, and and so I don't know. I just have a, I just feel frustrated about it. Of course, the, the reason I wanted to talk a little bit about it, even though it is so painful, is that that's something all comedians can relate to, and maybe even all creative people can relate to. And I think that's a valuable thing to share, not just like, oh, boo-hoo, Sarah is upset with one of the tapings or whatever. It's wonderful that we can have some solidarity and well, go, I mean, yeah, it it's never like, stops. It's like uh, Groundhog's Day. Groundhogs or a hog? Groundhog. Chrissy Hind or Chrissy Hines? <laughs> Barnes and Nobles or Barnes and Noble? Barnes and Noble? What's I wrong with know, you? But you say Barnes and Nobles <laughs> for fun? <laughs> now that I've said that, I don't say Barnes and Nobles. A lot of people do. Back in well, the day? Your dad? Peter. Barnes and Nobles is in the gutter. They have a whole lesbian sex section. <laughs> uh, Peter. Gra- I forgot your name is Peter. I know. Isn't that weird? Peter. And Peter. if I was a girl, I was going to be named Rita. Peter or Rita? Wow. Isn't that... Can you imagine if I was a lady, I'd be a, there'd be a comedian named Rita? <laughs> Rita Redner. Oh boy, I've blown it. <laughs> your I po- your points it. have been off point. Yeah, I'm off today. I can't believe I, I couldn't think of Rita Redner, of course. But a modern comedian named Rita? I mean, in her time, maybe there were more Ritas. You know what I'm saying? Like a 2005, ladies and gentlemen, Rita, it seems a little weird. It's an old lady name. Rita from the improv. You're just finding Rita's to humiliate me now. How dare you? This is my show. <laughs> Wait, what were we just... Oh, so Groundhog. Yeah, Groundhog. Groundhog's Day. Groundhog's the Day. The day that belongs to the groundhog. Um, in that movie. Mm. It, that's, to me, I don't know if it's a comedian thing or a human thing. Um, and I feel like we often don't know that discrepancy in our right. lives. <laughs> yes. 
But that moment where it's, you know, he relives, first it's totally organic. They have this snowball uh, fight. That's right. And they tumble to the ground and they almost kiss. And then he wakes up again and he gets back to that point and back to that point and back to that point until it's so uh, unorganic. Yeah. He's just kind of making it high. And then we have the snowball fight and then, we've, <laughs> and then we fall to the ground and then we almost kiss. And that almost right. kiss moment just becomes her really creeped out by him. <laughs> and that's, that's how it felt. That can be the feeling of crafting an act. Well, it's funny. I'm looking at your... I don't think that was there last time, or maybe I didn't notice it. The framed photo of Steve Martin. Oh, that's always been there. Well, I didn't... I don't remember seeing it. I love Steve Martin, and he opens one of his specials. It was a record with... uh, You know, he's like, this is the end of a a two-week run here at the Troubadour. And, uh, you know, I think it's really good to do the same thing over and over and over and over. Like, just addressing the fact that he's fucking tired of it, and that becomes super funny. (sighs) That's the thing is, I'm so... I am so excited about this cluster of material, but I also just feel like, oh, I thought I was done. Like, I, yeah. even even if I was unhappy, I, I it just was like I kind of da- oh, out, I get it. You know, down. Uh, what is a? It's not download. It's not upload. But it's it's out of my brain. Uh, offload. Really, Rita Redner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't want to have this nasal voice. That's another thing is my voice is even more, you know, because I'm sick, it, you know, just, uh, you know, I'm I'm one of those people that people go, do you have a cold? And I go, no, I just talk like this. But now I d- it's like those lines are so muddied for me these days. It's like Duncan Trussell goes, people ask me, did you just take a shower? And it's like, don't ask me if I just took a shower. What, because he looks clean or because he no, looks wet? I think it's like a greasy hair. Like you look, I don't know if it's him, but that's his go-to example of like, do you have a cold? Are right. you tired is a really nice one too. Oh, well, that's also, um, did you get your hair cut? No, I washed it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that though. <laughs> I like the Groundhog Day thing though. You're trying to capture this magic and it's beautiful and it's special. And every night you're going to this secret banquet that you go inside like a grandfather clock and you didn't expect the meal to be great and it's great. And then you go, what? then you send out, oh, I'm almost done. Then you send out these invitations, come to my secret grandfather clock uh, banquet and it's going to be amazing. Right. And now that's the expectations, the enemy of beautiful. Well, it's like if comedy. on stage you have this totally organic in the moment thing happen and then you go, you have to make that decision. Can I recreate this again? Yeah. Or was that just magic that I have to right. kiss goodbye? And a lot of times you just have to kiss it goodbye because you can't recreate it. You know what I, I mean? Know. Or it's like if somebody had something, uh, a physical thing, a pen, you know, that they happen to have in their pocket. And it and it somehow it created, you know, there was something about that yeah. pen. Yeah. You, you riffed something about the pen in your pocket that killed. And then you go... Do I go on stage with a pen in my pocket every night? That's right. You know, and be beholden to this, wearing this T-shirt that I referenced or this, you know, whatever. I can't believe you said that because, oh my God, this is humiliating. I recorded a CD. You know, when you record a CD well before you should, it's just like (laughs) I had 45 minutes of material. I did this farewell show at the Lion's Den in Chicago. I invited everyone I knew. Just a nightmare. Wow. I can't imagine wanting anyone I know. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. It was all friends and stuff. Uh, Kumail was on it. Uh, I think TJ was on it. Anyway, I had my intro song 
be uh, Sad But True by Metallica because <laughs> one time the song was Sad But True by Metallica and I went up and did a riff about how the song is like a riddle. It's like, I'm your pain, make me real. And at the end, it's like, I'm you. And it was really funny in the moment that there's this big reveal that the song's about you. And it, it doesn't even work now, but it worked then. And then I tried to do it again for the album. Like I tried to, I tried to put the pen in my pocket and yeah. go, oh, whoops, I have this pen. Now, and the audience smelled a mile away. Yeah, I was Bill Murray in the snow. Yeah, I was creeping them out. That's always what I think about this guy. Well, it's like our, our dear friend Chandling would talk about. It. He's like, don't try to be funny, just be, and you are funny. Like, just is it too sad to bring up Gary? I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, he's been on. He's been on on my brain like crazy lately, yeah. and I think I guess because it's March, you know, so it's yeah. been almost a year. Oh my goodness. Well, I I have a. Uh, returned check from Shanling in my pocket that that I got from Jed because he was going through his stuff. And I was like, "Can I please have this?" It's just a oh. check that he signed. I put that in my pocket for my special table. That was like my pen and all this stuff. But there, don't you know those nights where you go out and you just are funny? You're not saying funny things. You totally. just are funny. And for some reason, you can go through the file cabinet of your mind and remember what it was like the first time you tried to make that point. And you say it, your intonation is right. You, you even add a line that makes it make even more sense that you never said before. I used to get off stage after shows like that and be like, well, I need to r- transcribe this and memorize and all that yeah. stuff. And then you were like, there's a surrender that's involved, which is what Shandling was saying, which is like, trying isn't very funny. And what sucks is we have to try when we're doing our specials. We have right. to try. You right. aren't the sexy, mysterious performer that that's flew into town and blew up the stage and was better than they even hoped. It's your night. It's like your wedding. And, it, and it, weddings can be stilted and, and horrible. Right, right. And, it's and true. The you kissing know. is all, oh, the clinking the glasses. It's all manufactured and gross. But I like that you said that we don't, we can't just hold on to those riffs and try and recreate them. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you can. And yeah. you have to think of it like... A play, you know, where you go, well, there are actors that put on a play every night and they have to make it fresh and new and they're saying the same exact words every night. So I think there are elements that you can commit to if you choose to, but in terms of those just things that happen in the moment, that's right. You usually have to just let them go. Yes. I think of the Tibetan sand sculptures. You know, there's monks. It, this happened in a season of House of Cards. Do you watch House of Cards? No, I, I no. no. I saw the first season and part of the second <laughs> season. And I know it's great. I don't know why. It... Oh, it, yeah, yeah it's, it, it is great. But there, there's a part where uh, monks make a sand sculpture. That's something they do. They do these impossibly beautiful. Oh, my God. And then the tide takes them away? Well, then they sweep them away. That's part of it. So I know this sounds very pretentious, but when I have a show where mm, it's just cooking and you're riffing and you're destroying and the bit led to the other bit, you've never put those two together, but it seems so odd. Well, they should always be together. But it was that. It was this moment. And then I think about sweeping the sand away. And that's that's something T.J. Miller said to me, too. He was like, sometimes it's just for that audience. He's like, it's just for that one. And audiences are such mobs in the best and worst ways. And they're completely unique identities. That yes. combination of people right. laugh together at things and don't laugh together at things. That's right. That any other audience, they're not the same. And know? it's their first time. 
Yeah. I sometimes say that. I go, this is your first time being an audience. You've been in other yeah. audiences, but this is the first time we're going to hear what this one sounds like. And you figure out where your boundaries are as an audience and what titillates you and what's boring to you. And, and that, again, goes to Shandling. It's like, who are you to say, I know how this is going to go? And that's why it was all about Zen and the art of archery. It's like not right. aiming at the target. All you can do is be Pete Holmes. That's right. And that's what it says in the And you're the only one who can do it. So I have sublime demand very covered. Scary. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And that idea when he was uh, guest hosting the Tonight Show, he wrote about that. He was just like, just be Gary. Like it straight up says that. Yeah. It's like, just be Gary. Gary's funny. And and Sarah's funny. When you were touring out, I'm sure you weren't like trying to remember how to be Sarah. Because that's why what's so appealing about a good comedian is they know who they are and they can just be it. Yeah. They can just go out and, and kind of glide into it. And I, I have to imagine that has to come through in in some of uh, some of the. Specials. It does. It does. There are there are moments. There are loose moments. You know, and there, you know that that I'm ex, you know that I, I'm like okay, this is cool yeah. to, to have in there because I just so wanted it to be loose, and I had it. You know, I, I, that part is is good. You know, it's just <laughs> when I listened to when I was in Durham or Vermont or you know. The times I recorded on my phone, I just am like, oh, yeah. Man. You're reminding me that after Nice Try the Devil came out, I was like, I'm going to do an album version of it just at a club. Same act, uh, but in a, in a club. Yeah. You know, the other thing was Zach Alfanagas at UCB one time. I was recording all of my, I've told this story before, so I'll keep it brief. Whiplash, 15 minute sets at UCB in New York, uh-huh, the Monday yeah. night. So I would do that and I'd just record five different 15-minute sets and then I was like, and then I'll edit them together. A little bit like what Steve Martin did, actually. He was pasting together different sets. Right. And Zach uh, just goes, try less. Try less. <laughs> try less. <laughs> He's like, there's nothing funny about trying. Yeah, I know. And he was right. So even in the way that we have to surrender the fact that not every night is that night that we And when you're shooting up. a special, there's an, inher- there's an inherent... Vice... Try, trying even if it's even if it even if you're not and but the audience is gonna just by virtue of that there are cameras there the audience is here is feeling that's it trying right and isn't stand-up <laughs> trying to create the illusion that something organic is happening yes you know and, what I mean? and even when something organic does happen it's not the same as when it happens and there are not cameras there that's right that's right but you're going out Maybe I've told you this before, but I feel like stand-up, when you're having dinner, like a big dinner party, yeah. and there's 10 guests and one comes late, if you've noticed, let's say we're having dinner and then AG comes in and we're already eating and here comes Steve AG, he's going to say something funny. Everybody gives him the attention. Right. Doesn't this make sense? <laughs> yes. And then he's kind of, it's assumed that he'll be like, oh man, who knew there was traffic in Los Angeles? And then we all laugh like because there's tension and then he salves it with humor. And I feel like that's what's going on with standup is like the audience is all there before you. And then you walk right. in and you're like, hey, so it feels very normal and natural. But when the cameras are there and there's a, somebody was opening and then I'm sure someone is slating and, you know, someone's explaining to the audience like about their clothes or like there's a guy with a camera guy right next to him. It's, it's, it's kind of not a dinner party anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not making you feel any better. I'm just no, like, no, 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 isn't no. it the worst? <laughs> but the good news is as I, people like, lo- people love that special that I did. 
And that's the obviously I'm sure your agents and your and your father are saying the same thing. It's like you're way too close to it. When you hear it, you can put you compare it to Durham. No one else is doing that. Everyone's right. no, just no, going, this I, is and amazing. And I know, and it's so funny because with my friends, of course, I have incredible perspective and I can I can see, you know, their cognitive distortion of, of their own self and their own stuff that they make. And yeah. but, you know, as as keen as I can be about others, you know, it's just it's it's just not the same. <laughs> You're too. We're, I'm too close to myself. I'm so close to myself. I can't even see. I can only see out. Right. I'm so close to myself. I'm inside. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm encased. You can't get any closer. And when I first went through like a, a, my first really big depression, <clears throat> I was 13. I what I was fixed on then was how I was just totally alone behind my eyes. I, mm. I, even the closest people to me, my, you know, my mom or my, you know, couldn't, can't, can't be there with me. You know, and I just That's felt right. so terrifyingly horror movie alone, you know? Yeah. It's <clears> funny <throat> that you say that Mike Birbiglia did this podcast this week and I was, as I will, starting to talk about how, seeing yourself in everybody. Mm. I was talking about how, tiring life can be when it just seems like an exchange of information. Hey, did you see Get Out? Yeah, I saw Get Out. What do you think of Get Out? And we're just kind of <laughs> data acquisition. It's so yeah. good. You know what I mean? And that's so <laughs> shitty. But when you start to go, I can't believe my phone is on. When you start to go... Your phone is so thin. This is your phone. There's oh, just you no just, case on it. Why don't you have a case? You just you like to live the on edge. the edge? I'm like Hannibal. No napkin in the lap. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's because, it's because I took the case off because no one can hear me. I was doing a bunch of press and no one could hear me. So I, oh. I'm like yelling into as close as I can answers to very similar questions. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Mike said he had a lot of anxiety in that way too. And then he said his anxiety went away a lot when he started seeing himself in others. Yes. And going, and this is, this is right up your alley. Instead of me going, I'm alone in here. It's a Ram Dass thing to go, yeah. I see you in there. How do you get in that one? I'm in this one, but it's the same piece of the it same thing. It is true. Thing. You know, one thing that, you know, that's why I say like a lot of times, you know, a lot of comics suffer from depression and I'm no exception, but at the same time, depression and I'm not saying this across the board. I'm just, for my own experience, there's a certain element of it, and I think in comics that is self-obsession. Mm. It's... it's um, Too inward. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's... But, but it's... As soon as you decide to focus away from yourself and have empathy and understanding of others, you know, that's when that can that's right. go away. And so it's, 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 a, it's kind of a, it's a, um, it's, it's not a selfless endeavor depression. It's, it's a self-obsessed. Right. In the endeavor, performer strain you know. for sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, and I'm not saying like you're, it just makes you an asshole if you suffer from depression. I'm just talking about my only experience where I go, Oh, sometimes I forget that others exist, and if I right. can throw myself into compassion and understanding of others, then it you know it's yeah. you're not so worried about your uh, 
something your that's, own downward spiral. Exactly. But something that seems isolating, I'm alone in here, I'm stuck in here, yeah. becomes unifying. Right. I would, whenever I would do shows in, in t- towns that I was like, these guys don't want to hear about RoboCop, I would go, yeah, but these guys are all here at the same time as me and they're all not to say trapped but trapped in their bodies yeah. and it's like hey isn't it crazy that we're stuck in the same predicament right now we all have that in common some people like thinking about it some people just you know go to Arby's or whatever I don't the know what they're doing the human shell is so interesting and, and it's just... a problem we all have in common yeah I mean and it's also maybe not a problem yeah exactly <laughs> for sure seeing, maybe the problem is seeing it as a problem right but it is so interesting like if you've ever seen an alive person uh and, and then that the, the them dead yeah it's amazing because they're not they're unrecognizable yes. they're not there that so much of your identity or even an animal like you know identity is in their this energy you know that like i had my my last dog duck you know when he was 19 I had to put him to sleep. So by this time, he couldn't see, he couldn't hear. He was lumpy and just contorted and and rock hard, mm. stiff mm-hmm. and labored. And is and the whole. I mean, the the doctor. You know, he came here and he. You know, and I was like, bring two needles. You know, whatever. But he <laughs> wait to really make sure. No, like for me. One for <laughs> me. <laughs> But anyway, so d- d- Duck, you know, and I realized one thing, which is <clears throat> this is only painful for me. Mm. He's fine. Mm. He went to sleep, his favorite thing to do, and then <laughs> it's over. So he, he, I, that's he what got Ron, a li- Like ink into water. That's what Rhonda says about a beautiful death. Yeah. So he, he fell asleep yeah. and then he got a little shot and then he slowly was just gone. But the amazing thing to me, looking back on it, is... As soon as he was gone, as the the life left his body, he was physically was totally malleable. Hmm. He had no ail- his body had no ailments. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like if somebody who who can't move, you know, who is who is you know um, paralyzed from the neck down, dies. There they can before rigor sets in, they can touch their toes. Right, interesting. They can completely they're fluid. And that's so fascinating to me. Right. That it's that like your all our maladies are, are are brain function related. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your brain is telling you, you your your life force is telling you you can't do it. I mean I need then a scientist surrender. or a doctor to tell to explain it yeah. to me, but Neil deGrasse from, from Tyson, what wrong I can kind of, wrong kind <laughs> from of scientist. What I can understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know about stars. But um but that's what it, it seemed to me that that's it's right. so crazy. Right. And, what, you know, we're talking about the body and the predicament or whatever. It, I think it's interesting. Ram Dass, again, heavy Ram Dass episode, talks about it being like a spacesuit. And the spacesuit has uh, like a way that it works and we kind of learn how to use our suit. So there we are in the suit and we know how to use the hands and stuff. But then there's also something else going on, which is your... Uh, programming the software that the suit runs is your personality and your like culture and your upbringing and the things that you kind of upload into the into the hard drive of that suit that makes sense and it's not like i believe that i mean i think it's science if you believe in science you know it's like that very when your shell dies that 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 life force that energy just goes somewhere else it's just like 
any kind of energy like rage, you know, like if, if, if you're That's interesting. so mad at your boss, but you can't say anything right. because it's your boss and you'll get fired, that energy doesn't go away. It, you take it out on your wife and kids That's you right. know, or your husband or, you know, whatever. Right. It's, it has to go somewhere. <laughs> the universe uses every part of the buffalo. And that's, you know, on, in <laughs> macrocosms and microcosms. So there's like, you know, there are people who, are, who have lost jobs to globalization and have been ignored by the party that is supposed to be the party of the working class. And they are completely ready and willing to take this rage and energy that is real and warranted and put it on other because Trump comes along and goes, the immigrants did this to you and they can put that on other. Like that's wife and kids. Yeah. That's like Louis CK's bed. Eat your fucking French fries. Like he's not mad at his his kid. He's mad at the thing that he was repressing and it comes out and eat your fucking French fries. Oh, oh, to your kid. Yeah. Yeah. He (laughs) says, shut the fuck up and eat your French fries. And he's like, I would never talk to my kid that way. It's like, you're not talking to your kid. You're talking to your boss. To your point. I'm going to pivot big time because French fries just reminded me of a story because I just had um, hit it. It's such a short story, but I I want to talk about I I like what you just said. I'll just write it down. Oh, it was interesting. The idea of of an energy needing to go somewhere. Yeah. And Trump being like, I'm the bowl. You can pour that in. Perfect. Of course. Empathetic. Like, where can we put this? This rage in or this very warranted rage in our hands. Yeah. And there was and and Bernie Bernard. heard them and and Trump pretended he heard them. Right, 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 and right. And then Bernie wasn't an option. And they you know, it's very understandable for a lot of people, and they aren't a lot of them aren't ready to feel the betrayal that is just so fucking in their face that it hasn't happened they put it in a bowl and they want they need to still feel like they won you mm. know and it's uh, to me heartbreaking and i and yeah i mean i think it's important for all of us to understand that we're the same another probably ram dasi ish thing you know it's just like my therapist that is we we are all connected separation is a man-made endeavor and like mm. that is mm. kind of a, a coping mechanism all i was gonna say when you said french fries was it's beautiful because i just had lunch with jodine my sister and i forgot to remember this to her but we there was one year where we had to go to hebrew school on wednesdays after school and that was our like one uh attempt at our parents seeing if Jewishness meant anything. <laughs> and we would go in Manchester. This Jewish energy has to go somewhere. And my dad, <laughs> my dad had a store. You know, he's a retailer. That's, you know, when you ask why are Jews in New Hampshire, it's because even New Hampshire needs retail. <laughs> and um, so we would go to Hebrew school and then we had walked to our dad's store and then we would go home. And we were not allowed to eat anything from Hebrew school to on the walk from Hebrew school to dad's store because we were having dinner and it can't ruin our <laughs> uh, hunger for dinner. But we snuck uh, uh, some McDonald's French fries <laughs> and our dad caught us. How did he catch us? I was going to say. First of all, he's such a fucking detective, but it's so embarrassing. He... He, we had salt in our mustaches. Oh my God. <laughs> he found fucking McDonald's French fries salt yeah. in our Jewy yes. mustaches. This is how your God keeps you accountable. <laughs> yes. We were, we were um, caught. 
pot. That's so funny. McDonald's French fries is like sneaking a cigarette. You have to wash your face. You have to wash your hands. Yeah, it's like, like on you. Brush your teeth. Nobody, people are going to know for sure. Also, I, I think he smelled it. He would always say, the, the nose knows. <laughs> <laughs> the most really, dead. literally could not get anything past that. Well, you're still close with your pop. I, I, I'm moved yeah. by that. I, I joke, my parents are doing the best they can, you know, and, and like mm-hmm. I said at the beginning, they're they're keeping up and it's not like I'm a movie star or something, but you know, how is it in your family? They seem to vibe with it. Okay. I mean, I mean, they have no, you know, my dad couldn't repeat. He, he, he couldn't tell you a single joke I've ever. That's what I say. That's what I say about my parents. That's like the go-to thing. He could not tell you one joke, but it's because one, it's, it's just, not for him. He's not my audience necessarily. Right. Yeah, um, but how- although I talk so much about him and yeah. he loves that, but he's only he's looking <laughs> at the crowd and marveling That's at the fact I'm that like. they're watching me and taking in what I'm saying. Yes. And he can't relate to it at all, but yes. he loves it. Yes. <laughs> but how did you was it easy for you to say as I get uh, dirtier and dirtier is one way to put it. I would like to say more and more honest, which yes. means sharing thoughts about sex, sharing thoughts about doubting uh, God or, or whatever, or drugs or whatever it might be. Yeah, that's that's not dirty. I completely agree. That's uh, that's that's what other that's what people who like separateness. Yeah, it's, are it's not a man-made. Living- <laughs> honest lives label it so that they can you know i mean so, we had a we had a censor at comedy central and a comedy censor at, at, at what a comedy censor central censor yeah a comedy Central. i'll show censor. myself out <laughs> um but to her credit like we would have fights and she would say you know she'd say you can't say labia it's just gross it's gross <laughs> and i'd say it's gross to you and you are now because of how you were raised and your hangups and your bag of shit, you're making it now young girls who watch this show's bag of shit. That's interesting. And she said, you're right. This is my Catholic school upbringing. You and what? I don't want it to spread. And you're right. And because I said, the labia. you're fine with balls. You're fine with dicks. <laughs> yes. But because of your own shame, you're now going to, make me shame other girls. But isn't that all girls. any of us are doing? But the fact that she <laughs> she she was woke about it, yeah. you know, and she went, whoa. And I love that. I love my moments of going, oh, shit, fuck. Right. That's my shit, yeah. you know? Oh, I, wow. And it's exciting. It's so odd that people... Don't want to experience that at you, any cost. It's their survival not to. I Again, completely we can look agree. At our president yes, as a prime example. It's so funny being da- in survival. Yes, yes. I don't want to interrupt. Excuse me. No. Dating Valerie, she's really helped me get woke mm. to the. Isn't she the best? She's just the she's, best. She's the best. You say oh. Valerie, people smile. It makes me yeah. so happy. She's the best. Um, so special. I should have brought you. Save the date. It's fine. It's going to be fun, Flanny. <laughs> I just tell you other guests that you'll enjoy. Anyway, um, Valerie has helped me get woke to how I was raised by snobs and how I inherited snobby things where I think horror movies, roller coasters, fried dough, carnival, boardwalk communities, all of these things are like trashy to me. Calling your mother Ma is trashy. Wow. um, It's a very long list. 
uh, wrestling, professional wrestling, any like like these things that are like base human emotions, fear, smacking somebody in the face, like you know what I'm saying? Right. And she was like, "You are so judgmental to these things." So I have my labia moment where I'm like all the time, yeah. and I, and it's just like you know I'm 37. I don't want to think I'm calcifying too much like your dog. Rest in peace. But I do start to harden and just start thinking what I think is normal and correct. Well, because we see other people who who judge and you see them as as judgmental because their politics are different than yours. But you don't see your own instant, of course, judgmental, you know, things that are just ingrained in you. But that's why I, I've been saying this a lot lately. It's a bumper sticker, but I like it. It says, don't believe everything you think. I'm like, oh, it's, I love isn't that. that good? Yeah. Isn't that good? It's just like the result of conditioning and the things you've read and the things oh, that's that brilliant. the people around you taught. And then you go like, but I think it, so it must be true. But labia woman. Well, that's a Pima, Pima. thing, which is you know one of my favorite chapters, which is, about life and also applies to social justice, which is you must remind yourself uh, kindly mm -hmm. that your thoughts are opinions, not facts. Mm -hmm. As soon as you see your thoughts as facts, then you go towards people with other thoughts with aggression. That's so true. Yeah, of it's course. a big one for me. I was like, oh. I was just this morning talking about that, how I used to see anyone who didn't believe exactly what I believed as a threat. Yeah. And then you, you're putting it more, or Pima is putting it more elegantly. We used to say, if you're standing on a table and you're trying to pull someone up onto the table, it's way easier for them to pull them down, pull you off of the table. Yeah. This was a Christian apologetic kind of idea for why I shouldn't talk to my Jewish friends or like, or date them. It was more specifically about dating them. Like if you get too it's close so to an atheist. Any religion has that, an open side and a closed side. You know, like I grew up, my best friends were twins. I just saw them recently. They, they came out here oh, um, all growing up and they're very, very Christian, you know, family. Like, I mean, when I was at their house, they had like a lot of Jesus stuff around, which now I do oddly, but <laughs> do you really? Yeah, I do. I love Jesus. Where is he? Um, there's like a, an ad for some Jesus-y thing on there, but that That's was because Steve I was going to buy... That's uh, comedy Jesus. No, no. And there's like a Jesus statue and I have a Jesus... I don't know. I just... I Yeah. There are a lot of teachings of Jesus that I think are cool, you know? You're down um, with the JC. Yeah, like the Jesus Christ superstar I, uh, Jesus. Like the hippie, like, <laughs> let's all love each other Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's the... The um, the unaccepted. There's the you know, but these there's a they lot were of very, different Jesus. Um, tons. The I grew up with in a Christian. You know, I didn't know Jews until I moved to New York. You know, and and they were like the the every, you know all different religions are exciting. In our our church, we host you know all interfaith these different, dialogues. Yeah, right? yeah, so it was like, and they were you know they it, and I think it it shaped me in a lot of ways because growing up with no Jews. You know, my sister Susie says what if it. I was like, that sounds so nice. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, it's funny Just because kidding, it's, it's so different from the Jews I know that grew up going to, you know, having bar mitzvah season. You yeah, know, like yeah, I yeah. never went to one. Yeah. I never had one. I didn't know anything. But growing up, everybody's parents would say, are you from New York? And I'd go, what's New York? I'm from here. <laughs> and when, you know, as an adult, I understand what that is because those parents are younger than me now. You know yes. what I mean? Like, and 
that was what they've they've lived in New Hampshire their whole lives, right. and that's what they know of Jews. They're yeah. from New York. Yes, and I didn't know that because I was from New Hampshire. Right. Yeah. That's so funny. That's so funny. I remember. <laughs> this might be a bad story. No, I'm not going to tell that story. Ooh, I remember my dad see. met this little, uh, a young Jewish uh, girl, very young, like seven or eight. And uh, she's just talking to my dad. My dad loves kids. He's great with kids. Oh. And then she goes, we're Jewish. <laughs> and my dad's like, okay. Like, he, uh, he did not add. That was not a thing. Then he walked away. And my dad tried to spin a lesson out of it. And he just looks at me and goes, she, she, she's talking about how she's different. She's trying to share what's unique about her or whatever. <laughs> but that is what it's like to be a kid. You go like, we're Jewish. You don't even know what it means. Yeah, yeah. We're Jews. Oh, okay. that's what I, I never said is what my sister said. Oh, yeah, please. Growing up Jewish is, is in a place where there were no Jews. We just thought being Jewish meant being a Democrat. That's, because that's how we were, that's how we were different. That's you know? so funny. But um, didn't you say something like you never met a Jew until you were like 18 or something? No, I didn't know what a Jew was until I was 18 because the, the school... <laughs> The school <laughs> better. You said no, like as if that was absurd, and then you said oh, something a something thousand crazier. times crazier. Here's what I mean. I didn't know what, uh, like, the separateness. You said earlier that we learn our divisions, or your therapist said, and we all, right. and one of the ways we separate each other is by race, which is why I think it's right. funny that I go, oh, no Jews sounds great because that's a grotesque version of of the also, separateness that we all do. Sidebar: I feel like I need to say when we said woke and used the word woke, yeah. That is from the black culture, I believe. That is the it? etymology of that. And I want to give uh, credit because I feel like it, it's been making people mad. The, uh, well, over all the years of the reappropriation of things that come from black culture. It's funny. And let's celebrate that. Woke. Yeah, I, I just had this conversation with Allison Williams, who's in Get Out. And I was talking about how when I'm with my black friends, I'll use more black terminology. But it's not in a uh, condescending way. I'm not lowering or hiring. It's in the same way that, and I didn't get to say this, when I talk to Glenn Hansard or somebody from Ireland, mm. I'll say fair play to you. I don't, that's like an Irish thing. You don't say that. But it's fun with you. I can say bits. I can say, right. <laughs> you know, I, we'll talk about cities that we know. I like, if I know someone likes hip hop, they probably know this term or this term, whether they're white or black. But that was that was something an unfinished conversation. But also, you feel it too, like you. Uh, when you, you know, I had a boyfriend and went, and the day I met his mother, she was like, "We love bagels." That's hilarious. And I was like, I mean, I found it, you know, a- adorable. Right. But it's like there's there's that like need they cover for that in get, in get Out, where they they say to the black guy, they're like, "We we love Tiger," meaning Tiger Woods. Oh, like that's, that's certainly not the good version of it. But if I'm with somebody and I know they'll understand a reference or a terminology, I'd like to use it. But I didn't know woke was a, was a, Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I think so. Yeah. Get woke. Get woke is definitely a thing. We could look up the etymology, but if we're going to footnote all of our etymology, we're going to be all over the globe. I know. (laughs) Trying to change with the times. Well, it's different because this is, this is a people that tend to get, you know, Motowned. They get yeah. appropriated and like rock and roll comes from Elvis Presley and discarded. Exactly. <laughs> right. That that's where it gets tricky. Yeah. You know what I mean? Similar with I suppose with Jewish people and, and money lending, Merchant of Venice stuff. <laughs> you mean like <laughs> a cultural we history? We want our credit for being money lenders. No, oh, that is, is that not what, what I meant. A cultural history of abuse, because it's my understanding, at least in the Merchant of Venice, that 
Jewish people fell into that and then people started hating Jews because they represented bill collection. Well, it's important to know everything you know about Jews from Shakespeare. <laughs> he was Jewish, man. Was that true? JK. Two Jews just lit up. <laughs> oh, JK? Uh, we did just lean in. Yeah, let, let's get off of this subject because I am out of my depth. But one of the things I was going to ask you uh, when we're talking about and you just did a nice distinction that I like to do. It's not about dirty or clean. It's about ugly. Oh, right. I'm sorry. Keep interrupting. No, yeah. please. Sidebars are plenty. How was it telling, putting up those boundaries with your parents? Because you're like, it's not for you. And that's something I've learned in the past two years to say it's not for mamas. It, that actually, they really heard it. And now really? they use that with their friends. So they, they go, well, we didn't really understand, blah, blah, blah. I go, that's okay. It's not for you. It's, that's you know, so it's not. Good for you. I yeah. don't know. Why would um, you? That's what I, I said that to my mom. I was like, mom, she's like, M- Mrs. Vacanti didn't like it. I was right. like, if Mrs. Vacanti liked my special would be a, a big problem. Right. So, so my dad loves saying that now because he all have friends that go, I don't like, uh, you know, I didn't like her special. I don't like her show. And my dad goes, uh, good. It's not for you. That's you know, and he so gets very great. excited and then tells me and I'm like, all right. But isn't it's that, right. Just another don't believe everything you think or compassion or empathy thing. It's like, oh, you like it. Good for you. Yeah. And also just when someone states their opinion, accepting it and saying that's yeah. fine. Yeah. You're, you're, you're right. Right. You're right to Why think, is it a you know, threat, though, that you, given similar software and hardware as me, came to different conclusions? Why can't I just go, she likes to eat this. She treats people this way. These are the musics. These are the musics she likes. Why, though, do I see that as like an infringement on my territory on some deep level? I think that's level? human instinct. Yeah. And I think that I'm older and have had more therapy than you. <laughs> oh, no, I don't I actually feel difference. that anymore. Oh, oh, I, I'm right, just right. saying, why do people feel that way? I don't. Right. But that's a huge thing for me. Now when I meet an atheist, obviously, I salivate. I'm like, I can't wait to hear about your world. That, yeah. And that's... That's again goes instead of going data collection. Can I take how you're thinking and hold it in a spreadsheet against how I'm thinking? Can I just be with you and listen to you and and enjoy what it's like to spend time with that person instead of thinking of it as a conversion moment for either of us? Yeah, you know right. what I'm saying? Right. Like we can sit in the fact that we're different and right. be okay. <laughs> and who cares? I have friends like that. No matter what, I, Rob Bell, who's a spiritual teacher, one of my best friends. No matter what I tell him, I keep waiting for him to be like, all right, that's it. Like, you're too weird. Like, you've said too many things about these or these or these. Did we talk about mushrooms last time you did the podcast? I have no recollection of the last time we did the podcast. Me neither. Other than we said we're sitting at that table. And now we're on the couch. This is the couch version. It's a little bit more relaxed. (laughs) Did you? Couch sessions. Have you ever taken psychedelics? Uh, Of course. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The first time I took mushrooms. Uh, I was 18 or 19. I moved to New York and I Still went, got we went salt to the, in the lip. Yeah. And, <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> and we went to the top of the world trade center and it was the craziest, most wild, emotional, enlightening, crazy. No, night. Yeah. I would remember that. That's insane. You went to the top of uh, the world trade center. Yeah. And w- w- you timed it out. So they were kicking in around there. or You just lingered. Oh, we were, completely rolling uh, or, or whatever the term is on mushrooms by the time we were going up the 
elevator so much so that I I don't know what we were doing or maybe we were laughing so hard or being had a, a scary energy to people. But there was a very well dressed uh, lady banging on the elevator doors like to open for it. She couldn't get away from us. Fast oh enough. my and god! I remember feeling so it was feeling giggly. a little bit bad about that. But yeah, and funny like the world. It was giggly. Was it was sobs. I remember I sobbed because the woman working at the gift shop was faced away from any of the windows and I she was so close to the view and couldn't see it. Oh my god. And I god. felt so uh, awful for her. Brokenhearted. Yeah, I was brokenhearted. It was <laughs> right behind her. Like a perfect get woke analogy if you just turned around. Right. But see those are all <laughs> things that like when you wake up the next day you go that was, I would say that was mind expanding, but it was more just psychedelic trippy. The, when I f- tried ecstasy for the first time, which was years, and I did a lot of acid, which is crazy because mm. it could have been bad acid. It could have been, it could have like, it could have changed the makeup of my brain. It probably did actually. But I mean, <laughs> you know, I could have really. That's funny. That's what. You don't know what is in that. You know, mushrooms come from the ground. Right. But they were also great experiences, acid. And um, Isn't that more, have you had the full channel changing experience where it's not just, oh, this, this pillow looks amazing, but you're like, I'm in Ecuador. <laughs> or, no, but when I took ecstasy. What did that make you think of? That changed my, that changed me. Mm. Where like the things I realized on ecstasy when I woke up the next morning were still mind blowing realizations. Can you remember any? Uh, well, at the time I was uh, with, I was, my boyfriend was um, Sam Cedar, who is a, a kind of like a politico now. He has a podcast with, um, he, he is the, uh, I never know if it's called the Majority Report or the Minority Report. I think it's called the Majority Report. It's probably the Majority Report because uh, Tom Cruise beat him to Minority That's report. true. <laughs> anyway. Um, or it could be the Minority Report. Is he, is he a minority? Well, he's a Jew, but no, it's he must be called the majority report. Anyway, very smart guy. But um, anyway, we dated many, many years ago. And if he approached me with issues he had with me and our relationship, I would tend to get defensive and storm out of the room. Mm. And we took ecstasy and we sat at his dad's kitchen table and he told me, all the problems and issues he had with me. And I heard him and stayed Mm. and it it changed me. I was able to kind of dispassionately listen, not dispassionately, but not, not make it about not, not, I would say that getting defensive and storming out of the room is a means of survival Mm. because if I heard him, I would have to look at myself and that's a very scary thing to do. Mm. And on ecstasy, I was able to hear him and look at myself and not be scared. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They say it's a a heart opening drug. So the mind is the one that judges and and labels and puts them into piles so we can make sense of the world. And it wants to protect you. Your heart is the one that goes, of course, let's bring this homeless person up to my apartment. I have a guest room. You know what I mean? And your brain goes, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> right. We don't know this guy. He could be dangerous. All true things. I like that voice. 
It's my Chappelle white guy voice. Oh, wait a minute. Is. Wait, wait a minute, Dave. <laughs> oh my God, that's exactly what it is. I didn't even realize until you called it out. <laughs> uh, zippity doo dah. Z- yeah! <laughs> zip it up and zip it out. Do you know Dave Chappelle? I do. I've known him since he was in high school. You knew him when he was breaking on the scene? I knew him before he moved to New York. No I, um, way. I met him. He was emceeing. I was the middle. And a guy named Mike Reynolds was the headliner. And we were in D.C. <laughs> I love it. And there was a D.C. guy. I want to say his name was like Lee J or something. Dave could tell you. But it was his manager. And he was in high school doing stand-up. And brilliant, of course. That's funny. I remember he had the Batman and Robin. The... Uh, I don't know if you remember that bit. It was a brilliant bit. And he moved to New York shortly after. And, and Was it on Killing Him Softly? Gee, I don't know. It was about Batman parking his car in a bad neighborhood. Like the, <laughs> you know. But anyway, um, but yeah. And, uh, That's crazy. I remember we went to McDonald's and he... And, oh, sorry. No, no, no. And he got anyway. fries and your dad came in and smelled them? Yeah. <laughs> and they were on his mustache. Something I've always resented uh, is the stories where you go, you saw Chappelle and you just knew. Like, people love telling that story. <laughs> and I'm like, did we? Did you? Did you see this young kid? I, I know you could probably see Well, potential. I was also a young kid. Right. So, but, um, but he moved to New York shortly after and he just, his material was just superior. Yeah. So it is true. How annoying. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I wouldn't say, like, I could see that he would be a legend. That's you know? what but, people, yeah. But I, I don't know. I can't take credit for that. To, that I could, but I, I knew he was amazing. A I special mean, one? Yeah, I mean. And the other thing I, I, we got on a, a smidge was, was Shandling. And with his passing and stuff, any opportunity I can get for any advice or things that he told you or what you think of when you think of him. We talked a little bit about just being which is something that continues to help me to this day, that, I, that Gary idea of just relax and just surrender to it and you'll be funny. Is there anything that jumps to mind when you, when you think of Gary as we are closing in on a year? It's funny because this weekend I had a one-nighter in Canada and I, um, I got to the hotel and I took a bath which is what I am want to do. And for some reason, I don't know why, I started just talking out loud to a light on the ceiling. I just was talking to Gary out loud and just mm. said, you'd be, if you would have loved the memorial, Judd produced it mm. like you wouldn't believe. And you you really would have been so happy with it. And, you know, and just... And um, crushed. <laughs> yeah, and just I just I don't know. It just started happening. I was just mm. talking out loud to him and and telling him that I I wished that I mirrored him more to him mm. because he he so did that to all of us. Anyway, oh, you mean when he was living, like the, the idea that he, we're all looking for each other, and I'm right now looking to see who I am and you. And Gary was the kind of guy that was like. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. Yes. Yeah. And so generous with that. And I just, I worried kind of um, that he didn't get that back enough, you know? Mm. But anyway, um, the next morning I had like three emails from Judd about he's, you know, doing the Gary documentary and he wanted, you know, I, I told him that I had, a, you know, 
I haven't really looked at my emails with Gary because it's just hard and mm-hmm. and sad and um anyway um but I I remembered one thing that he had said when my mom died you know my Harris my mom and Gary all died when in a year and a half so mm. it was just like the three three wildly close intense relation you know big relationships in my life and when my mom died Gary said gave me this um thing that comes from Buddhism which is Grief, teach me what I have to learn, mm. what I have to learn, yeah. And um, and he said, can you find that email? So I was kind of then, I had to look through emails, and it was, you so know. You type in grief, and it's like 40,000 results. It's oh, like, it's been I a long journey. That. Oh, really? Instead, <laughs> I typed not? in his email address, so it was just a million, you know, years of emails. And, oh, boy. But, of course, I knew the date around to look at and everything. But, um, you know, he... You know, Judd said any emails that you would be willing to share and blah, 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 blah. And usually I'm all over that stuff. But I wrote him back and I said, um, I'm embarrassed to share these, even these ones that are so wonderful because he's, they're just email after email of him praising me. Mm. And that's what he did with his friends. Isn't that crazy? You know what I mean? And, but I just, I feel like any email I would send would, it would feel too much about me. And he wrote, and I'm only telling you this because he said, that's exactly what Sasha said. Oh my god! And I think that's what most people would say is that the only reason you don't want to share them is because he just, it is, is the exact reason why you would why people would love to see this and what you should share about him. And that I think you can just by saying this right now, which is all he did was, was reflect back to you with such love and adoration and praise. Yeah. And it was so generous and yeah. kind and loving and, and unlike so... what, what, you know, a, a lot of comics even get from their, parents or yeah. you know what i mean yeah and it also goes against i, I was going to say the the idea of what even what gary showed as himself on on his shows unlike larry sanders and stuff you didn't necessarily get a picture of a guy that was like because he was so brave and explored the dark unflattering yeah. things yeah, yeah, yeah. about himself and about humanity right you know which yeah. was also wildly generous yeah uh, it bums me out so hard after Gary died. I had in my calendar like a week or two before, like dinner with Gary, like the whole week. And I just was like, it was one of those lessons. Talk about grief. Show me what you have to teach me or whatever was. I was like, I'll just, I'll just call, I'll call him the week after, you know what yeah. I mean? And then, he, and then he passed, you start picking up on those cues. You go like, let's not cancel the thing. Like, here you are in this place where you could have canceled the podcast, but it's wonderful when we go, no, let's do it. We're all here now. Let's do it now. And Harris, of course, is the same thing. I mean, I would have things like that that we let slip through, and the few times that we did hang out, obviously, are treasures forever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because when they, with all three of them, it's like when they first die, it's devastating. And then... You all get together and you have this swell of 
unbelievable memories and stories that you share and it's and there's something wonderful about it mm. and then as time goes by you still have all those things but all those stories and all those memories are finite mm. and when you realize that and also it's also like it's not in the moment of when it happens it's when you go back to regular life that grieving really kind of takes place because uh there it's you're not in celebration mode anymore you're right. just at gelson's yeah i remember someone saying that about geraldo it's like he's not on the road you know what i mean you go to the cellar and he's not there and you're like he's not at a gig and that making it real that's for harris for a a good year i was able to say he's working he's busy he's on the road right. he's he's in a writer's room i'm not seeing him because just like any other time i'm not seeing him right Completely normal to go months and months without seeing a comedian friend. Absolutely. So it's easier for us to put that aside. Yeah. For sure. But it will always, you know, yeah. And it's, it's crazy to think that all three of these people were alive last time we sat down to talk. Yes. When, how did, do you mind talking about your mom? I'm interested in what that was like for you. Uh, sure. I mean, the thing about my mom is, it's funny, like, you go, well, was she sick? You know, because if she was sick, then you had time to prepare. Yeah. Or you go, was it sudden? Was it a car accident? That would be awful. But there's really no good way to lose your mom. I mean, my mom's been dying for, like, 25 years. So, <laughs> in a way, it was a surprise because... You mean that really? Yeah, she, she got oh, this... Oh, forgive me. I thought you just meant in the way that, like, Kvetchik right. mothers are, are kind of slowly passing. Well, no, she she got this really rare autoimmune disease. There were only a hundred cases in recorded history of it. You know where her it it was fa- and she was it was interesting because she was always fascinating fascinated by learning about her crazy body mm. and being able to explain it. You know and be her own best advocate. And she took scrup- scrupulous notes and mm. and um, but. Yeah, she her immune system, uh, your immune system fights off sickness. That's what it does. Her immune system was crazy in the head. Like, her mm. immune system was crazy. Mm. And they thought that her blood, your, your, mar- your blood gets made in your marrow, and it's, that's where it is in its infancy, and it turns into blood, I guess. Okay. Probably not saying that totally right. I what? mean... I, don't, I have no idea. Oh, okay. You looked at me like you're wrong. I'm just glad so, I'm not stoned right now because thinking about where blood comes from right, is a Right, your bit body much. makes blood. So her <laughs> immune system thought that her blood in its infancy and her marrow was sickness and killed it. Oh, my goodness. So her body couldn't make blood because her immune system killed it off like sickness. Just a glitch. So like every kind of method of, of cures um, were experimental and were so like they... They killed her immune system so that her body would make blood, but then she got any sickness. It was a lot like being HIV positive, where she got legions and she and sores, and she would just get any sickness that was around her. So mm. they go, okay, she needs her immune system. So she really just lived off of blood transfusions. Hmm. She has like one of her medications is in my refrigerator still, and I just can't like I'll just never throw it away. Probably. It's Karen Zidi. Did you watch The Sopranos? 
Yeah. Bobby Bacala won't throw away the last ZD that his wife made. Oh. And then Tony's sister starts dating him and makes him throw it away. <laughs> oh, wait. It's so brutal. It's Karen's ZD. It's Karen's ZD. He says it so many times. <laughs> you have Karen's ZD in your fridge. Yeah. But these mementos. It's my mom's bicitra. Yeah. <laughs> less delicious. No, yeah, less delicious. (laughs) So then how did it finally happen? So, you know, many, many years, she would go from not being able to walk up three steps to having a blood transfusion and having, like, the strength of ten men. Mm. You know? So it was very interesting (laughs) for years. But it just wore on her body. And she had all these different ports, you know, and then they would collapse and she'd have to get another port to get the blood transfusion. Like permanent ports because she was getting so many. Permanent ports in her body, Mm -hmm. yeah. And she just had like a series of little strokes and that just really changed her. Like Mm. she was, she was a totally different person, you know? So that was really hard because she, she used to be like, you know, do the New York times crossword puzzle in record time every day and brag about her time and time herself. Oh my goodness. You know, and watch MSNBC nonstop and she loved her Rachel Maddow and she was like kind of a conspiracy theorist and mm. and um, just a big brain and had a lot of rage about what was going on. I mean, I'm almost glad she is missing this, you know, the politics right now because, you know, I mean, even then I would have to say, Mom, you know, every once in a while you got to just watch your bones, <laughs> you know, because she was really going crazy. Yeah. But, um, and then she had these these strokes, and she lost interest. She she struggled to get words, mm. and it was so frustrating that she just didn't bother. So this woman, whose her whole life was words and teaching you new words and knowing every word, and you know, being did she, you know woke is from the African American? <laughs> yeah, she <laughs> she always had these fun facts about language and and grammar and that she would drill into our heads and I go, Mom, you know, but I missed it so much in the last years because mm. she she would she got too frustrated and she just gave up and she didn't want to do crosswords and she didn't want to watch TV and she didn't want to do anything. Mm. She lost her interest in her interests. Hmm. So it was, yeah, it was tough. And she got, you know, so, and then she just got really sick. And at a certain point they said, you know, do you want to keep going on these meds and, you know, keep going? Or do you want to just let nature take its course? And she had always said, let nature take its course. But when it came down to the moment, she said, no, 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 I want to live, you know, do what you can to resuscitate me. She'd always done the do not resuscitate. And I was there in New Hampshire when she was like, no, what? I mean, resuscitate me, you know? And the doctor's like, well, you know, it's like you could break your ribs and and just to have a a weak quality of life. And she's like, you're not going to try to reset, you know, like when it Mm. becomes real, you know, when you go, Oh, I want to just live to be 95 and have a full life. And then you become 94 and a half. Right. And yeah. it, it looks really different from there. Like and live, it was scary to yeah. see because you just expect her to go, no, I don't do not resuscitate. I want to have a quality of life. And it wasn't that. And it was really scary. Mm. But um, yeah, she just, it just, it happened. And it was funny because when I found out she died, I, I you know, I went home. 
they said, come home. And I went home and she was alive and she was okay. And mm. then I came back to LA and, and then I found out, you know, Susie called my sister and said, she's just got, you know, uh, probably a few more hours. I'll just keep you posted. And I was like, do I come home? She's like, you won't make it, you know? Mm. And I was shooting, Lady Dynamite with Tig at seven in the morning. I go, do I go? And I'm literally dry. I'm on my way there when Susie called and I go, I, what do I do? And we're there and we do hair and makeup and I just am kind of existing through life and we do rehearsal. And then after rehearsal, my phone rang and I said, I have to answer it. And it was, my mom died. Mm. And it was just amazing that Tig was with me at seven in the morning mm to find that out because she had just gone through that, you know, a couple of years before. And I got off the phone and I was ready for it, you know, but when I said the words to Tig, you know, it was just like, you just cry. And she, Tig said something so amazing that stuck with me. She said, the world is broken up into two groups. People who know what it's like, uh, to to lose you know to lose your mom and people who have no idea what's coming. Mm. Wow. And then she and then I said I don't know what to do. She goes, Sarah, we're not shooting this right now. I'm driving you home in your car, and someone will follow me in my car. She just took control, and we got in my car, and she turned on the engine, and out of nowhere, just from iTunes shuffle random, uh, Joni Mitchell Blue came on. Just like, mm. as if it was just like put on <laughs> like oh a needle gosh. to a record. And we just looked at each other like, wow. Oh my goodness. I am, that, that is devastating to even consider. My mom's still alive. And I'm like, I can't imagine saying my mom is dead. That, yeah. That's crazy. It's going to happen. I know. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. You mean I might go first? Uh, yeah, you never know. <laughs> yeah, I go first. <laughs> Good lucky. <laughs> That's 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 very very sad. And then you got sick right before our show. And then I almost died. I know. And I uh, literally got rolled into surgery, and they had they had told my boyfriend and and my manager Amy, who was there, that this was uh, it was not definite that I would make it through this surgery. Right. And um, and didn't it happen that like. If you had been, forgive me, I can't remember this one oh, detail. Oh, it's crazy if that I'm had, not dead. Right, but if you had been on the road or something? I would have died. Yeah, you would have died had you been on the road. Yeah, it's crazy I even went to the doctor with a sore throat, but I, w- I had an abscess covering my windpipe, which is the only place you breathe from, that was either going to grow another millimeter and suffocate yeah. me to death or explode and poison me to death. Wow. And And then the surgery was really risky surgery, so... And I remember getting rolled into surgery and just thinking, not me too. Yeah. Because it's just been a crazy year of um, of deaths. Yeah, goodness gracious. But, but then I lived. <laughs> Two weeks later, or three weeks later, I was on the set of your show in New York. I know. I've told that story many times. Very frail. Times. <laughs> I, I like saying, by rights. I like saying, by rights. Very thin. You should have not been there. Yeah. You should have, you should have bailed. It's one of the things that Crashing is, is kind of about. I'm not turning your story into Please a plug. Do. I'm not. I'm saying that was a moment where I go, shit, there really is kindness and goodness in our scene. You shouldn't have been there. No. <laughs> you know, Tig should have gone, you're not shooting that scene and got you back in the car with Joni Mitchell. That's what should have happened. But yeah. you came and it, me- it meant the world. It was so amazing. But to tell them the, the crazy story, didn't you have 
the visions and the when you were forgive me again for not remembering when you had these visions or dreams when you were under which the I mean which story is like a, the, the kid and the man walking around the neighborhood talking to everybody oh my god yeah oh my god see we got to get this stuff on record no okay <laughs> I, really I don't know if this is interesting but it was it just this is after I got home. I went straight from the ICU to home. I didn't like recuperate at the hospital, which was probably a big mistake. And <laughs> I didn't realize they had not given me my Zoloft for the whole week. Mm. And I was getting off of heroin, basically. They were, I was on an unbelievable amount of opiates because they couldn't put me to sleep because my blood pressure was so low. I wouldn't have lived through surgery. So... Oh it, wow! Yeah, so it was. I have PTSD from it actually because it's. I everything went in from the surgery. You know, I, I thought I was captured by ISIS half the time because I, my hands were tied down. Oh my god! Because there was a, I could only breathe through a breathing tube, and because I wasn't asleep, I was just on Opiates. major drugs. Wow! Your human instinct is to pull this thing that's down your throat out. Of course. And so they had to tie my hands down, and then I would realize I was restrained. And what else could I possibly glean from that? But I've been captured by ISIS. (laughs) You're not like, I'm in good hands. And it just happened over and over and over again. So, because my sister would go, Sweetie, you're okay, you know, and then I'd fall asleep and I'd wake up, and the same thing would happen again. So, over and over, literally, like waking out, like uh, not remembering. Just every few minutes. So, I got home and I was having unbelievable withdrawals from a series of things and I was so emotional. Everything was... If my boyfriend wasn't there to, to one, keep me from jumping off the top of the building and two, to piece together that I'm going through major withdrawals from opiates and from not having the drug I've taken every day since 90, 1994 in my system... Um, I would have I would have jumped off the building, hundred mm. percent. I was not myself at all. I was um, completely rock bottom. Everything was too much. It was to think about the sadness in the world, the hunger in the world, the loneliness in the world. Um, to think about happy things were it was too moving. It was just everything was too much. Mm. And I had this dream. <laughs> And I woke up just sobbing, telling Michael about it. And so now it's weird, but it, and I, it was, I mean, dreams are so boring. They're but not, just, not on this it, podcast. It, this was, <laughs> I was, you know what? Looking where it was on Columbus Circle, it was Trump Tower. And this is way before the Olympics. Yeah. But it was inside Trump Tower was this, Wow. Looking back, it was almost prophetic. It was yeah. the it was a huge takedown of Hillary Clinton, and all of a sudden, these military submarines came up, rose up from the ocean, and we were at war. And I didn't know if this was a real war, end of the world, or a video game. I couldn't distinguish, mm. and I didn't know how. So I didn't know how to react. You were in Trump Tower? In this dream, you yeah. You were near Trump Tower? Inside, from the in inside. Trump Tower. Trump, but mm. it didn't look like the inside of Trump Tower. It looked like a huge cyber something. I right. don't know. Anyway, somehow I walked out of there and turned the corner and walked down this, this... All of a sudden I was in this 
tiny urban um, kind of shanty town. Uh, I don't know how to explain it. it. It was almost like something I've seen in other countries where it was like this narrow cobblestone walkway and people living in like very modest kind of shacks, but very happy, a mm. uh, very happy kind of land, you know, where it's just people right and left in their living spaces. Mm-hmm. And and I was with an elderly black man and his eight-year-old grandson, and they were showing me how they walk around and they have a knife and a, a pear, and, and, and they stop by at different people's little homes on either side of this walkway and have conversations with them and share the pair with them. And they, and the man said, we call it grazing. Mm. And they said, they share their stories with us and we get to learn about whole other people's lives. And, and, um, and he, and then the little boy said like cellophane, green cellophane. Do you ever wonder where green cellophane comes from? Maybe we could go to the place where they make it and find out. And that's the whole dream. (laughs) And I woke up telling it to Michael, like, with such urgency and just sobbing and sobbing. But, like, anything beautiful, anything kind or anything sad, anything, every single thing in the whole world made me Your heart was completely exposed. That's kind of what we're talking about. And it was so too much. That I probably would have jumped off the top of my building if yes. it was not kept from it. But it was also just beautiful. It was too beautiful. I'm so glad he did, sad. obviously. Was... You know, it's funny. <laughs> Thank you. I was just listening. Yeah, for, obviously you know that. And, and that and that not being open to all of that, <clears throat> there's a certain protection in, in not being open to all that, too. Mm-hmm. You know? For sure. No, your mind has your best interest. It thinks it's doing what's right, right for you. Right. It's funny, I was just listening to Ram Dass today, and he was talking about how people <laughs> in the hospice movement have to be what's called professionally warm. Oh, I know exactly what that is. You know what I'm talking about? Well, you know, my dad was a hospice worker, and also my... Okay, so here's the thing is... We also have to talk about your dream. I'm going to write that down. I'm sorry I'm interrupting, but I t- so totally all. get, get you're that. Not because a, no, you're not. I don't want to forget about your amazing dream. For though. instance, my best friend Heidi is a therapist. She was, a, you know, she majored in social work, and 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 what you realize is these people with huge hearts go into social work but the people who are the most effective in the realm of social work are people who have a certain wall up that they can be effective that they're not a puddle of tears right. with these kids that need their help yeah. they need to be strong for them and they have a certain and in comedy it's so the same where if you are too close to something and you and it goes back to even um uh What's wrong with me? Who's the comic everybody loves who is political and he broke all these walls? And, and John Oliver? No, from way back when. Uh, what's wrong with me? Oh my, it was embarrassing. Yakov Smirnoff? Yakov Smirnoff. <laughs> it's no, not. <laughs> um, no. Um, he, he was like the first, like he got arrested all the time. Lenny Bruce. So Lenny Bruce. I forgot Rita Renner. Yeah, right. <laughs> Lenny Bruce, at a certain time when he was getting sued all the time, he was so close to it and it was so frustrating. He would just be reading his court papers on stage and it was like not funny. And, right. You know, right. and they, when you're too close to it, 
you can't be funny. You have to have a certain amount of distance. That's right. You know, so like after the election, people said, why aren't you talking about Trump? I said, because it's it's too upsetting to me right now. Mm. You know, but when you can get a certain amount of distance, right. you can be funny about you it. You want so to be zoomed out a like little bit. It's like that across the board from social work, from, you know, being able to work at Greenpeace or UNICEF or all those things. You have to have a certain amount of distance to be able to be effective. Right. And it's the same thing with comedy. That's too. exactly right. And professionally warm means if you're seeing people dying every day, you can't emotionally afford to have your heart shatter, but also part right. of your job is to care. Right. And that's kind of how we, that's what our brains are trying to help us be. So wow. what Ramdas says is if you're being fully in the moment, does the moment include the, the, he has the stats, the number of babies that are dying of starvation in right. this moment? He goes, okay, yes. And we're sad. And then he goes, but does it include the first breath of all the, even more babies being born, the, the hope and joy of beginning, yes, then we're happy. It's like this both-and sort of place that you're trying to... He always says how horribly beautiful everything is. Like, yeah. everything stinks. Well, it's like when it's tragedies perfect. happen and they say, you know, focus on the people running towards, you know. Yeah. Well, with Trump, you know, something that Rob Bell has been talking about lately is that you see all... He says all of the dials have been turned up. We've seen some hate and some fear, and we've seen some division, but we've also seen how many millions of people marching, how many millions of people reaching out. When I see someone with a safety pin on their shirt, remember that, telling people if you're trans or or gay or whatever it may be, that you're a safe person, that's seeing the other dials Well, it's, you know, they say uh, um, when shit goes down, (laughs) for I'm paraphrasing, it's, you know, when you're in a bad situation, it's an opportunity to see how you handle it. That's mm. kind of an, a nice mm. way to look at it. And, you know, so, yeah, all these Jewish cemeteries got, you know, destroyed and uh, and um, graffiti and their tombstones kicked over. And then you get to see, uh, you know, this Muslim association raising money to... Fix That's it. right. And there's that opportunity for, for beauty and right. unity and character. Right. It's a moving thing when I saw the, like the, the, the Sikhs, a, a, a hugely misunderstood group for sure, handing out food and water to yeah. all the white women. I, I think that was like a very sweet moment. I was like, I don't think we would have been talking otherwise. And that's, that's what breaks my heart. Which brings me to your dream. So here we are. Wow. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm going to analyze your dream, but I do no. think your subconscious or whatever your soul did something beautiful is that you're in a building like the Trump Tower. And you tell me. Uh, this is just this a... This is so interesting. Yeah, I'm I can't positing, believe... Positing, I guess. But you're in, the, you're in Columbus Circle. You're yeah, in like... Columbus Circle. Is that exactly that side of you know, where that is? And you're right by the park. It's affluent. You're, in, you're yes. high up. Even the military stuff that you saw is the peak of technology, wouldn't you say? Yes. Helicopters and submarines. And it's like, look at all we've done, right? But then you go down and it slums, which is what? That's a confusing message to us because that means poverty. That means that people aren't... But it was where all the beauty was. Exactly right. It's the idea of the Native American prophet, who I always forget his name, had this horrible vision of all of us living alone in rectangles because back in the day would be on rolling hills and would be forced community and would be cutting pears and sharing it with one another and learning how to make green cellophane. But now we have all these weapons of division that keep us divided, keep the boundaries strong, and it's all brain and it's no heart, but we're not happier. I guess if I was your therapist, I'd say, how did it feel to be up in the tower? You didn't feel safe, it doesn't sound like. Right. It sounded no, like it was, it was surreal. And 
Um, I, I will also say that um, uh, TNT, the channel TNT, was on all night, and they kept doing the. Uh, and I, I know that there were constant ads for this show called The Last Ship. <laughs> and that that was definitely seeped in there. It sure. was like that kind, that kind of like military, they're all coming to get us. But then vibe. it's like, how many things did you see that day and how many songs are on your iPod? You know what I mean? True. It's like well, Joni Mitchell yeah. came on and you dreamt about that one. You know, there's lots right. of impetus. Right. I'm just saying, I'm not trying to force No, it's so magic. beautiful. That's so lovely. That's so... But how many times do we have to hear that story? Mm-hmm. Like we talk about being in college and I hated living in the dorms, but then I look back and I was like, I kind of like forced socialness. I like. Oh, that. you always look back on your salad days with such happiness and. But salad days and, of being with other people. Yeah, because you're you're, you know, there's, you know, listen, it's army buddies. It's you know, yeah, it's uh, it, it you know they they army buddies were in terrible terrible times together. Say the war war you know veterans that are buddies and they they're talking about they're reminiscing still because it was it was something i mean it's classic buddy movie uh i mean i'm going i'm all over the map right now but no i get it the classic buddy movie formula is to me like a formula for peace it's two you know unlike-minded people who hate each other that are forced together for a common a common goal, and then they find out they're not so different after all. That's right. Which is why my heart tingles, whatever that means, when you say, when you see the need and the anger and the fear that people had that was completely legitimate and needed a place to put it is so much more healing and uniting and beautiful than just saying what a lot of people say, which is that Trump supporters are idiots or Trump supporters are racist or whatever right. it may be. When I see Bernie doing that, uh, Bernie and I were on the same Conan, which was great. Wow. Yeah, he was there, and then I sat in his chair. I said I could still feel his body heat, <laughs> feeling the burn. Come on. Uh, <laughs> but he did that. He, right away, he came at it as like, no, this is a legitimate pain, legitimate pain, legitimate ache. This is not just happening here. I mean, like the Democratic Party is supposed to be the party of the working class and they haven't been for a long time. With all the progress that's happened, that's been great. It's not black and white. They've the working class losing their jobs to globalization, they've been ignored by the people who are supposed to represent them. Mm-hmm. So when Trump comes along and says, You've been ignored because of this, this and this, and they go, Yeah, thank you. Okay. We're yeah. gonna vote for you. You know, it's you understand it. It's just that they're being lied to. You know, I think that there isn't that much difference between the average Joe on the Republican and Democrat side. We're just listening to a different set. We get our news from completely different places. And one of them at least is lying. Mm. You know, it's like with religion, you can believe your religion is right, but by virtue of that, you're believing that every other religion is wrong. Right. It's They can't all be right. Right. Unless you're me. <clears throat> right. But I'm like, then they're all right. Well, yeah, they're they're all similar and come from pretty much the same place, actually. Right. But sure. you know, in general, but um, I have no idea what I was just talking about. Well, we, I, w- I was applauding you for having um, Yay compassion. Me. <laughs> I was shandling right. you. Oh well, right. Well, you know, the Labour Party in the UK has not been representing the Labour. Yes. People, you right. know, it's so. This is an epidemic, and so you know, if we can live through this and this, uh. 
sociopath doesn't get us killed because of his ego, mm. um, then then maybe the pendulum will swing the other way and, and good can come of this or maybe unity. But I'm, I'm real scared. I sure. think that we might be at a point of no return. I mean, let's see what happens with um, Jeff Sessions. You know, I think that we'll... we'll he did? Okay, so he rec- okay, so he's not resigning, he's recusing himself from the investigation and I think that nothing else is going to happen because they can just ignore it. When they when the news reports stuff and exposes stuff, they have set up their bed to be um that's lies, ignore it. Mhm. So we're in a real scary place where there's I don't know where we'll find footing if there's if there's if truth has no currency. Mm. It, it, yeah, very frightening. Yeah, I, I'm glad Katie followed. I, I'm uh, I'm watching almost only Bones. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. It's not that I'm not informed, but I, I get my intel from people because people are always talking about it. So I, I'm piecing together. Well, then you're together. only getting opinions, but that's, that's pretty. True. But that's also pretty much how news is now. Yeah, there isn't. Just news, yeah. Of just facts, just like a ticker tape coming. Um, out. I guess the AP, AP is that you know. Yeah, it's funny. The idea of looking out for yourself, I think, is the is the the mythology of America in in a lot of ways. Like we like the solo person that goes out and learns how to defeat their things, and then they amass a fortune or whatever. And Trump seems to be a type of perversion and exaggeration of that. Uh, personalized, um, self-obsessed ideology that we can relate to. It's like our country's story is the story of like, you win and you kick ass and you win and you put yourself first and then you win. But also there's just no accountability. He lies. He's, he's caught constantly lying, caught on tape, yeah. saying something that he said the opposite eight days earlier. And it, and it just doesn't get addressed, and life moves on, and the news cycle pushes it out, and he survived, not only survived on that, but thrived on it. So if truth, you know, if if he just says that the sky isn't blue, it's red. I'm looking at it right now. It's red. There's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> what, what was it like? Where were you when Hillary lost? I was uh, flat on my back on this floor because I threw my <laughs> back out. After, after having thrown my back out, reading uh, um, Healing Back Pain by John Sarno, realizing this is just in my mind, I'm going to be roommates with this pain and I'm okay, and then uh, I threw it out and was unable to move. And even if I could understand that intellectually, I couldn't move. So wow. I was on my back. I had to cancel everything. I was watching the election results and just, uh, it was just couldn't have been worse. Yeah. But it's interesting because boy, did our smug smiles get wiped off our faces. I and, saw that. And you know, it's it's real interesting because if you think back at how we were before the election, oh boy, the Republicans are really having an identity crisis. They're going to have to really rethink who they are, mm. you know, and all this shit. And then Trump won, and the whole time we were looking in the mirror. Mm-hmm. 
We were straightening our hair. Yeah, that's interesting. These, this is this is the truth of the Democratic Party. Mm. Well, I'm. I, it sounds to me when I saw you, you Instagram that smug faces thing. I think. Yeah, I probably. think there was like a typo or something, something funny about it. And when I saw that, it again just to butter your bread a little bit. It does mean mm-hmm. well when you can take grief and go, okay, what what is it here for me? What are we to learn from this and this and this? Yeah. Well, you can't expect change without being willing to also change. Yeah, you know? there you go. You know? I was the first person to be like, I say gay in my first special. Like, I say gay. I'm from Boston. I say yeah. gay. It does. It's like it just means lame. Right. I have gay friends. And, you know, and then it took a while to go, oh, I'm the guy who says, uh, I say colored. What? I have colored <laughs> friends. <clears throat> and go, oh, maybe I should take half a day and change my language. I really just let that sink in. I I, I do wonder about sometimes people that people say the right side of history, but I'm like, no, but really not like far, far, far in the future. But in your lifetime, you'll look back and go like, shit, I was the weird guy that just could not wrap my mind around the idea that someone is a woman inside, but was in the body. Yeah. And they're just like, that's weird to me. And then they just, well, don't you see that we're going to look and, back and it's going to be water fountain, like right. colored water fountains all right. over again? But also you can have, to try to have compact. If anything you can do to make people whose porcupine needles are up, down. Yeah. That's the chance for change. I mean, there's, there's protesting in the streets. That's. The, uh, the other side of that, which is important and vital and creates change. And one-on-one, it has to be an attempt, at least, of understanding and kindness. Because otherwise, you're not going to change minds. Mm-hmm. It starts with that first hug, hello. You know? Yeah, that's right. Did you get any new perspective from almost dying? <laughs> you know, I thought that I would... There's a Mary Tyler Moore episode where Ted has a heart attack. And he, you know, and he lives and then he's comes back to work and he's like, look at the sunset. Or he says, salt. Have you ever looked at salt, Mary? You know, look how white it is. It's so white. It's so beautiful. Um, no, what I, maybe, but, I, but intellectually, I feel like all I really learned was we are ticking time bombs hmm. on a rock in outer space. <laughs> I've been looking over your shoulder. It says we're in outer space. Your your worldview. Well, I am interested in in Christ is a new addition since last I was here. We no. always talk. Oh, he was here last time. Christ, Jesus, like the the little things you have up of Jesus. I've stuff. always had. I've always had. Oh, really? That's old. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we even talked about it last time. It has been years. Let's go easy on ourselves. It was like four years ago. Yeah, that we talked. But I'm I'm wondering whether it was tied to you getting sick or not, or, or your friends passing. No, I mean, my first special is called Jesus is Magic. I've always been very interested in, in Jesus, people's obsession with Jesus, and also the certain teachings of Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the one who said, and that's my last special. The I, one you're editing, you mean? No, no, no. Oh. The one before it is, that was, um, I, you know, he said, and I'm paraphrasing, if you don't deal with your shit, your shit will deal with you. Mm-hmm. You know, if, it's something, if you don't bring, bring forth what is in you, hmm. what is in you will, whatever. You know, Coming. That's, that's, the, that's the meaning of it is what I said, which is right. the easier version. Right. If you don't deal with your shit, your shit will deal with you. Right. I, you know, I like it. There's a lot of teachings, of, you know, that are, he's... Um, Do you think some people manifest 
more eternal truth than others? Are there things like Christs and Buddhas that came here and just got it? I, I We're yeah, woke. it seems like it. <laughs> I'm not trying. I'm not trying to, to trap you. Stuff. By the way, people who are uh, open to learn stuff. People who are, you know, there's something that, you know, my therapist sometimes says, like, if you're going into a, a situation where you're really dreading it, a stressful situation, you know, going home, you know, it's for a lot of people, it's like going home for Thanksgiving, the stress of that. The, he said, and this is so odd and not. Uh, a weird kind of modern thing, but it's, if you go as an observer, if you go because Mm -hmm. in your mind you're thinking, I'm writing, I'm a journalist writing a piece about Mm -hmm. this family or this process of Thanksgiving or whatever, you're able to take yourself out of it and just... That's the mystical journey in a nutshell. That's it. And that's what we're all doing. But that's what's so exciting about it to me is that like that's very practical. We don't have to bring in the soul. You can say, can you go in the quiet place of your brain where you're just observing your own thoughts and the happenings around you? Right, without judgment. Not for heaven or hell, for peace now. You can go home and relax and go, look at that one being my dad. Look at that one being my mom. There's my racist uncle. There's my... And and just kind of not get so lost in the Perfectly written characters in this movie that's right but oh, you know. that's in the world but not of it that's what jesus that's another oh, thing wow. jesus said you're in it and you're, you're you can get angry you can get loud you can have sex you can dance you can play but the whole time you're trying to go into the part in you which is the unflickering candle now we're mixing religions but like a zen idea your consciousness is a still steady candle no matter how the winds of reality, quote unquote, reality are blowing. You're always in that place where the winds don't reach. And you can go, wow, far out. My, di- my family's fucking nuts. Right. <laughs> but not taking it so personally. It's kind of, like, but then, you know, kind of like you lying, trying to heal your back with your brain or get over the right. fact that it's just in your mind. Easier said than done. Because I've had meals with my family where I'm trying to do that and be present, and a vein in my forehead, like a Snickers bar, starts to grow, and I'm like, I'm going to die. Right? No, it's like with Pima or with Gary Shandler. They 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 became experts in this. They searched for this because not because they're already at peace, because they need it. That's right. Because it's a practice. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. I, I love that so much. And you. Uh, we probably talked about this, but it, when you die, do you have thoughts? You're talking to Gary. I talk to Gary, too, from yeah. time to time. I talk to other people that I, that have passed. And sometimes yeah. I'm just like, this is just me talking to myself and processing it almost like a dream, but I'm awake. Do you believe that Gary's somewhere? I know it's, I don't want to I don't it even personal. think about it. Is that not something that you think about? No, I don't, I didn't, I don't, no, I, I didn't, um... No, I didn't even... It wasn't something I really thought about. It just happened. Mm. And looking back on it, I don't know if Gary was there or it doesn't... It doesn't kind of... It's a little bit... I think Gary would say it was, that's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It's funny. That's what Buddha said when they said, what happens when you die? He said, "Why? what's your concern with that? Right. That was his answer. Well, I, Roger Ebert, <laughs> wrote, you know, knowing he was going to die, wrote something about like, you know, I, I don't know what my, you know, I wasn't aware of existence before I was alive. And yeah. I assume that's how it will be. Right. Going back. That just happened uh, with Alison Williams. Where were you during the Renaissance? The thing that Ooh. gets interesting, though, Dana Carvey said that on my podcast. Wow. The thing that gets interesting, though, is you go, 
was I there during the Renaissance? You know what I mean? Like, right. It's almost funny. The more I study spiritual possibilities, sometimes it increases my concern because I'm like, there's a myriad of possibilities when you die. It's not just I go back to where I was pre-birth. My mother is coming inside me and saying, you don't need to say a myriad. It's just myriad. Uh, I blew it. No. Rita Rudner, myriad. What did I say? A myriad? Mm-hmm. There's myriad reasons. It feels weird, but that's how it is. That's no, no, correct. No me gust. No me gust. Dave Rath had to do that for me. He goes, I would say, like, I've been doing that for a millennium. He's just like, just say millennia. Like, I, I was saying millennia wrong. Millennia, millennium. Anyway, I'm wrong all the time. I don't yeah. believe everything, I think. I, I don't know what to do. I'm really becoming my mother where I used to roll my eyes when she'd correct people. And now I go, uh, and she'd go, I'm just helping. And then go, you're being obnoxious and making people feel bad about themselves. Now I'm the one in, in the tub at the hotel in, uh, <sighs> you know, um, wherever I was and saying, they should know that their soaps are too perfumey and some people can't handle that. <laughs> But then you do get into, like, whose English are you correcting? Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I go, you're being a snob. Yeah. That, th- that's, those are rich people's English. Right. Well, it's King's English. Right. It, it literally is King's English. You're, if you correct someone who's speaking, uh, I, a good example might be someone who says axed instead of asked. But if everyone in your culture, that right. actually becomes correct. In, in Culturally speaking... That, right. That's what would happen all the time is, is like through getting spelled T-H-R-U in the dictionary is because so many of us were right. just like, I'm not writing Throrock. Right. <laughs> yeah. But then your mom is saying that there's one better way of speaking, which I understand. Well, my mom said like when and where. <laughs> and cool whip. <laughs> that's from uh, Family Guy. I love it. Do you feel good? Have we not covered yeah, anything that like, you wanted oh my to God. talk about? We talked for a while. Oh, my God. We barked on the same corner. It doesn't matter. Thank you so much for doing Crashing. Wait, I told you the Timothy Elephant story, right? What's that? Oh, yes. Yeah, you don't know. No, tell it for the people. It's just Because so you great. barked on the same corner that I barked on, McDougal yes. and Third. I warmed it up for you many you years did, earlier. Which is the, didn't you tell me, I've been trying to corroborate this for myriad years. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> It's not true. That John Stewart barked for the Boston? Did you tell me No, I don't think so. He was a busboy at Panchito's. That's what it was. And it was you that told me that. Something better. So anyway, McDougal and Third is where I barked. You were assaulted by a mascot there? No, that's a little. That's almost. I was defending the pluck you chicken and who was getting picked on by a gaggle of scary uh, guys. And the... One of the that gaggle uh, clocked me and oh punched me unconscious. Whoa! I didn't know you went out. Yeah, yeah, was knocked unconscious. You should have been wearing the chicken suit. There's a protective layer. That's I've insane. been punched in the face thrice. That's Same one. As my dad. What's the other two? Uh, well, the other two were one was uh, in a movie. I get beaten up and. He Ryan Philippi connect, and I'm not being a battered woman saying this, but I think I maybe leaned in or did something. It may have been my own fault. Where he connected and knocked me right off my feet. I had a huge egg on my jaw. Oh my goodness! And I would have, when I opened my eyes, I would have cried because just like like 
you know, and uh, but when I opened my eyes, he was already crying. <laughs> I was like, it's okay. Oh my god! And the third time was at Comic Con by a, a a kind of fan, I think, who didn't know what to do with his feelings and. Uh, punched me in the face. Wait, he was like, oh my God, Sarah Silverman? He was in a line to get his picture taken, and he had one of those Hulk fists, but it was the thing. It was the orange one. I like that you know that. And uh, it was Comic-Con, <laughs> and he had it, and he looked at me, and I said, hi. And he just punched me across the face with it, and kind of knocked me back a little, and by the time I got my footing... I he was already being dragged away by two giant men, <laughs> and I dressed as Doctor Doom. <laughs> I, said, uh, I think afterwards I said, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want him to get in trouble. Like, I, I, he really had this look on his face of such remorse as they were dragging him away. I think he didn't, he didn't know what to do with himself yeah, or something. Yeah, it was yeah, very yeah. Odd. Oh um, my goodness. Anyway, the corner of McDougal and Third. I had a lot, lots of stories Timmy, from that. Timothy Oliphant, though. Oh, oh, so a few, couple of years ago, and I just saw him recently, and we relived this, and it's just my favorite story. I'll probably tell again and again. He's but from Justified. Starred in the show Justified in Deadwood. He was on a show I love, Damages. He's just a brilliant actor. Great, great, great actor. And uh, he's on a new Netflix show now. Anyway. I saw him at a party a few years ago, and I went up to him, and I said, I just want to say I am such a fan. I think you're fantastic. And he goes, Sarah. I go, yeah. Uh, yeah. He goes, you don't remember me? And I said, I, I mean, I'm a huge fan. He goes, Sarah, I used to pass out flyers. I barked at the Boston Comedy Club when you passed out flyers. Tim. I had a, my hair was parted in the middle. I had a page boy haircut, and all of a sudden, oh my god! I see his face. I go, oh my god! That was you. You were <laughs> never going to amount to anything. <laughs> but life is so long. I if know. You, if you let it, that is true. That's hilarious. Well, we always end with uh, now, not when you did it the first time. Keep we always end. Well, keep it crispy is still in play, but we always because sometimes it gets heavy. We talk about God and death and all that stuff. We like to end on a, a happy note. It doesn't have to be a good story, but if I ask you to remember a time you laughed really hard, again, you can just tell me where you were, who you were with. Uh, you could have been potentially stoned. You could have been a child. When you think of yourself laughing really hard. Ugh, I know. Why is this so hard? I, I know. Some people find it difficult. Oh, there's a doggy door. Hi, Mary. Somebody uh, falling. Uh, somebody farting. Um, um, a situation where you weren't supposed to laugh, but you couldn't stop laughing. These are common areas. Oh. <laughs> Zach Galifianakis had a good church one. <laughs> church is a common one. Class. Libraries. Well, that just Zach Galifianakis, is, that made me think of not a laughing. Well, okay, so a laughing thing. <laughs> Wait, what did it make you think of? His brother spoke at his wedding. Were you at his wedding? No. It's all these, you know, all these comedians and savvy people (laughs) are speaking. And his brother Greg is, you know, they're from North Carolina, kind of deep, deep North Carolina. (laughs) And, you know, all these like very pithy, brilliant comic voices are speaking and stuff. And then Greg gets up and he's saying, you know, I used to, talking about being a, a, you know, I used to, 
beat Zag up and uh, you know, I, I ripped all his clothes off and threw him outside and locked the door. And, and there's this uncomfortable <laughs> feeling in the audience like, oh, God, he thinks this is funny and it's just awful. Yes. Mean bully stuff. And he tells the story about stripping Zach, you know, holding him down and stripping him naked and throwing him outside and locking the door. And, and it's just uncomfortable. And then he says... And you know what Zach did? And then he fully breaks into tears and he goes, he loved me anyway. Oh my God. And it turned in that one sentence into the most beautiful, brilliant speech I've ever heard in my life. Oh Is my that amazing? God. You just up leveled And you know what game. Zach did? He loved me anyway. Oh, oh my God. My God. <laughs> it was um. Amazing. I don't even so know beautiful. the question to ask that gets that answer, but I, I need to find it because that's the best story I've ever Isn't heard. Isn't that the greatest story ever? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Sarah, thank you so much. Do you yeah. feel good? I feel great. Are you ready to get back into looking at yourself on your special? No. <laughs> but that is what that was. I believe it. I believe it. Well, this right. was incredible. Thank you again for crashing. Thank you for this. I'm, uh, this was incredible. It's a oh. lot of, lot of, lot of very memorable things that I'll, I'll never forget. Yeah, this was great. I mean it. Um, and, and would you say uh, keep it crispy? Keep it crispy. <laughs> Thank you. Was so that much. good? It was was that a good keep it crispy? <laughs> Now leaving Nerdist.com.